blueprints. You may have a set hanging around your house. If, if you own a house, there's a good chance there are blueprints there. Uh, most of us have had blueprints for our homes. It just helps us to get a little bit more in depth with what may be wrong in our homes, where the studs are located, where the wiring is located, where all these things are located if you have to do any kind of repairs. Or when you're building, they are essential for what we do. Now, these are some of the blueprints from the, uh, the church building here, one of the projects around here, and they're just, there's scads of pages starting with elevations and contours of the land and foundations and then all the materials and everything that go into it because you see blueprints and drafts and mechanical drawings and computer CAD programs and everything else provides the vital information for construction that is quality. From inner city skyscrapers to backyard sheds, blueprints are necessary or some kind of a plan is necessary for you if you expect it to be a quality building. For the most part, uh, if you own a set of blueprints, you probably keep them handy and refer back to them on a regular basis. Well, God has given to each of us a set of spiritual blueprints for how we are to live as a family in the house that we build. They are blueprints that you need to keep handy so that you can refer to them often. In the beginning, God designed the home, how the family should come together and be constructed, principles and values that are as relevant today as they ever have been. As relevant as when God rolled out those plans in the Garden of Eden. So this morning, for just a brief moment, we're going to take a look at the first family. Not the one that's located at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, but the first family. The one that lived in the cul-de-sac and garden acres at the end of Tree of Life Lane. That family. And in addition, we're going to take a look at that beautiful passage in Ephesians chapter 5 where Paul relates the uniqueness of the family to the uniqueness of this relationship with God. Now, regardless of your current station in life, you are, have been, or will be part of a family. So this series will touch all of us. And if you're here this morning, I would say the likelihood is that you're probably a part of the family of God. So the principles that we talk about our earthly families also apply to who we are as a family here as we gather together. I've got to tell you, our 21st century culture as a family here in America is, has experienced some ups and downs, a lot of change, um, some of which has not been good through the years. There are dozens of statistics that describe the family of today. Let me, let me just give you a handful to remind you of the challenges that lie before us. The average American household is carrying over $75,000 in debt. Now, not all of that is credit card debt, but a lot of it is. And the average American household uses 13 different credit cards to make their purchases. There are 5.9 million Americans between the ages of 25 and 34 that are still living at home with their parents, adding even a greater strain on the budget of many families. And the reason is they cannot necessarily find jobs that will sustain them out on their own. Americans and their families have a third fewer close friends and confidants than they did 20 years ago. A third fewer connections than just 20 years ago. According to the National Survey of Families and Households, almost half of all couples who live together before marriage break up before they get married. 
And even more telling is this, those couples who live together and then do go on to marry have a divorce rate of nearly 80%. That is staggering. 21st century families with the original biological parents constitute only 24.1% of American households. That's less than one-fourth of American households that would be described as what we call the nuclear family, mom and dad and kids in the household, original marriage. That's down 15% in the last 30 years. Roughly two-thirds of all children in the United States will spend at least some time in a single-parent household. Now, those statistics are, are, are humbling and challenging all at the same time. This is our culture. God has a really good plan. It's just that we haven't always followed his blueprint. However, I would suggest to you this morning, it's never too late to roll it out and start a reconstruction based on the original. At the outset, God designed the family as a place of community. Remember in the story of Genesis, if you read Genesis 1, 2, and 3, you'll, re, you, you'll recall that when all of the creation was done and God sees Adam by himself, he says it's not good for man to be alone because he realized that we all need relationships. Now, God had that plan from the beginning. He created the animal kingdom as male and female, but he's wanting us to see the importance of relationships and community. It's not good for us to be alone. And so out of Adam's side, not a separate creation at all, but out of his side, God took a rib and he formed Eve so that there was a togetherness between the two of them. And so we come into this relationship called marriage. It's a companionship. It is a joyful thing. Eve taken out of his side so they would stick together. They would be supportive and helpful. They worked the garden together. They ate from the produce of the garden together. And they were supposed to protect each other from the pain of the world around them. Now, God gave to Adam the directive, not to both of them, but to Adam. You can eat of any tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you're not supposed to touch that one. Uh, you're, not, you're not supposed to eat of that one, Okay. That, well, those were his words. Don't eat of that tree. So where was Adam when the serpent came to Eve and enticed her to eat? My opinion is that he was standing right next to Eve because she handed him a piece of the fruit and said, eat it too, and he did. What was wrong with Adam that he didn't reach out and protect Eve and keep her safe from this horrible event? You see, that was a part of God's original plan, that in the household that we would protect and encourage one another, that we wouldn't hide from each other, that we would be honest with each other. Once they sinned, they hid from God, and I suspect they kind of wanted to hide from each other. God's original plan was that there would be no compromise in the marriage, that there would be a faithfulness that would endure as long as we both shall live, and that we would be faithful and fruitful and multiply. Uh, we have three sons, mentioned in the scripture that belonged to Adam and Eve, Cain, Abel, and Seth. I'm sure they had more children, but those are the only three that seem to figure into God's greater story. They raised those children to love the Lord, I believe. They taught them about sacrifice because that's the one story we come to with Cain and Abel. They are making a sacrifice before God. Isn't it, a, it is an act of worship. Except for Cain, he, his is just not a genuine act. And in his anger, he killed his family, his brother, 
And in so doing, there was a separation in that family that was never restored. I'm telling you, that's where the slavery of sin begins to take its toll. Stay away from sin if you want to enjoy the freedom in your family through living together. Is the family really all that important? I mean, does it matter that we take God's blueprints and really shape our homes according to what God has written and told us? Well, yeah, I think it really is. I think it makes a grand difference. Might even save your life. If, if you don't think so, ask 67-year-old David Laveau, who just this week was found alive in a ravine at the bottom in Angeles National Forest in California. He'd been there for several days. He, with, he had several broken ribs. He had a dislocated shoulder, a broken arm, back fractures, and he lived on leaves and bugs and water from the creek that was not far from where his car ended up. Others had given up, but his kids believed he was alive. And so they kept going through all of these areas, and they would stop at every ravine, and they would holler out, Dad, are you down there? And finally they came to this one ravine, and the answer came back to them that he was. And so they called the rescue workers, and they got him out. He's in the hospital having surgery uh, this week. He's going to live because his kids never gave up on him. So I'm telling you, you better treat your kids right. <laughs> may save your life someday. About 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesian Christians about the home and the family, and he compared it to this relationship between Christ and the church. You see, the home is important to God because it is the relationship that he created and that he ordained and that he has used as the best earthly illustration of his love for us. So God is particular about the home. That's why he gave us great blueprints to develop it. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the fifth and sixth chapter of Ephesians. We're going to begin reading in verse 21 of chapter 5 and read through the first part of chapter 6. If you don't have your scriptures, you can follow along on the screen. This is what we read. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, after all. No one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and he cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Do you know where we first read that verse? It's in Genesis, just after God creates the home with Adam and Eve. This is a profound mystery but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord, which was one of my daughter's favorite verses to quote to me as they were growing up. We fathers have a way of doing that, you know. Well, the longer I live and the more I learn about the family, the more I'm aware of my own faults as a fail and failures as a husband, a father, and a son, 
most of us men are slow to sometimes recognize where we are inadequate. I, I think our reluctance to admit that is, is on the same chromosome as our unwillingness to stop and ask for directions. I think it's somewhere along in there. But the older we grow and the more we see of God's blueprints and plans, the more we realize where we have failed and where we've been inadequate. And I'm here to tell you, there is no perfect husband in this room this morning. There is no perfect wife in this room this morning. There are no perfect kids in this room this morning. We have all failed in some way and contributed to poor quality in God's construction process. You see, you can't take imperfect people and make a perfect home. But we can do our best to model what God has planned. So for the next few moments, let's just grow together. Let's learn together. Let's study together. Because the first thing I want you to remember is God has a plan for the family's foundation. Usually, the first couple of pages of a blueprint focus on not only the contours of the ground and, and the elevations, but they then get into how to establish a foundation that will hold the rest of the structure. No, you don't want a house with a weak foundation. You don't want a family with a weak foundation either. And without a strong, solid spiritual foundation, we're not going to be who we ought to be. And the construction of the family may not endure the storms and the trials of life. If you do it God's way, it'll probably last. If you don't, it's going to make it really tough to last. Not long ago, 59-year-old Melvin Reed had triple bypass surgery in London, England. Imagine Melvin's surprise when he returned from recovery to find not just his wife, but his three wives there to greet him. That just about undo a triple bypass, don't you think? <laughs> Melvin had three wives. They didn't know about each other, and he tried to stagger their visits, except they all ended up in the parking lot at the same time and figured out the plan and confronted him right there after his recovery. <laughs> Tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor, will you? You see, when we do it God's way, you don't get into these kinds of scenarios. When you follow his blueprint, it gives you a foundation worth building on. On God's foundation page of, blue, of his blueprint is the word that we really don't like, but is so critical. And that's why verse 21 begins like this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. <laughs> Submission is just one of those words that sounds so weak, so passive, so unmanly. You see, our culture has a sense of pride that we're able to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We can do it on our own. I'll do it myself. And submission seems to go against that. Now, it doesn't really, but that's our picture of it. Actually, it's not just us. Submission is a struggle around the world in almost every culture. Been to a few cultures where they still have the caste system, you know, where you have the upper caste and the lower caste, and, and, and the two will never come together. It's, it's an awful picture. God never intended for it to be that way, and it's because we have misunderstood this word submission. But I have found over the years that submission to be a principle that works in nearly every area of life. If you do it and practice it biblically, it works. Why do you think Mother Teresa was so admired around the world during her lifetime? She would never have won a beauty contest. I doubt that her IQ was extraordinarily high. She was not blessed with great material wealth, and yet 
There are few who garnered more respect or wielded greater influence than this diminutive little lady. She was not weak or powerless, but she was submissive. Submissive to what she believed God was calling her to do, and submissive to the suffering of humanity around her. Here, then, is the irony, folks. It was her submissiveness and that submissive spirit that gave her strength, power, and influence. And I would suggest to you this morning that while the principle of submission is important to every area of life, it is especially important in the home. When husbands and wives adopt a, a mutually submissive attitude to one another, when children adopt a submissive response to their parents, then the whole household can become submissive to God, and when that happens, everything comes together like pieces of a puzzle. Our homes will never be problem-free or conflict-free. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about a biblical principle that when we practice it, makes our homes strong to endure the storms. They lived happily ever after is an unreasonable expectation, but having a good home is if you practice on the foundation that God has given us. We will never be closer to heaven on earth than when each member embraces this biblical principle of submission. Jesus did. Jesus was a submissive person. He wasn't weak by any stretch of the imagination. He wasn't afraid either by any stretch of the imagination, but he was submissive. He submitted to his mother's potentially misguided wishes at a wedding feast when she said, they're out of wine. Just do whatever he tells you to do. And he did it. He submitted to her requests. He submitted to washing the gnarled, dusty feet of the disciples in the night when he was really focused on the cross the next day. And then he submitted to that cross so that you and I might have life everlasting. He submitted to the plan of God, even though he prayed, Lord, if there's another way, let it happen. But there was no other way, so he submitted. And he's been changing our lives ever since. Now, if you don't intend on embracing this principle in your life of submitting to the plan of God and being mutually submissive from a biblical standpoint of view to one another in the family, I suspect you can go ahead and take your nap now. Because the rest of what I have to say all builds on this. Nothing else in this text of Scripture that we've read will really matter if we don't embrace this one first. Because you see, built on the foundation, God has a plan for the family's construction if it's a strong foundation. <clears throat> the blueprint is the main resource for not just where you're going to build the house and what you're going to use as a foundation. It really is the resource for everything that goes into the house. What kind of materials are used? All right, you know, uh, what kind of fasteners are used in the house and, and will they hold against the strength? What kind of shingles? How long are the shingles going to last? Are you going to use three-eighths drywall? Are you going to use a half-inch drywall? What quality windows are you going to put in the house? Everything is contained in these pages. And if you follow it, the house will be good. God has given us all the materials and the resources that we need inside his word to construct a quality home. So here's some of the things that you and I need to realize. And the first one is this, insulate your marriage. You know, a, ho a home that doesn't have any insulation, the walls or the ceiling, is hard to heat in the winter and hard to cool in the summer. A family that is not insulated will find the same problems. 
A lady preparing to celebrate a milestone birthday told her husband, she says, this year for my 40th birthday, I want something red that goes from a zero to 200 in a matter of seconds. Her husband said, okay, that'll be easy. So on her birthday, he handed her a fancy wrapped gift about the size of a shirt box, and she says, what's this? And he says, what you asked for? And she opened it, and there inside was a brand new red bathroom scales. That's when the problems began right there. <laughs> now, there are two words in this text that are essential to a healthy home uh, between husband and wife, and the first word is submission, and the second word is love. Wives submit just as the church submits to Christ. Husbands love just as Christ loves the church. It's not an either or, it's a both and. One won't work without the other. Now, we don't like this passage, again, because we have a wrong understanding of submission. Most wives look at this, and they, just, they don't like what Paul writes here because they view it as somebody is the controller and somebody is the controlled. Somebody is the taker and somebody is the giver in the marriage, and they say it just won't work. Well, if you look at it like that, you're right. That won't work. Here's the problem. That picture describes somebody who is intrinsically and essentially selfish selfishness goes against everything we read about in Scripture. It goes against the very qualities that God calls out from us. So if you're going to be a selfish husband, you've blown it already. If you're going to be a selfish wife, you've blown it already. You see, you've got to, you've got to begin with the principles of how God wired us to begin with. Spiritually, God calls us to be selfless. Now here's what I think this means. There are two kinds of people that marry, givers and takers. If you're a taker and you marry a taker, neither one of you has, uh, well, neither one of you will last long in that relationship because nobody's receiving anything. If you're a giver and you marry a taker, you'll be frustrated and empty and you'll want out of that relationship. If you're a taker and you marry a giver, you'll ruin your spouse's life. But if you're a giver and you marry a giver, you will both become receivers and that's the biblical picture. Let me ask you this morning, was Jesus a giver or a taker? What do you think? Jesus was a giver. He, was a, he gave him himself constantly to the point of even giving his life for our sake. We're back to the first principle of the text, mutual submission to one another out of reverence for Christ. So when you revere Jesus Christ and follow him as Savior, you cannot be anything less than a giver. A giver is an unselfish person, and that's the only kind of mate that can make a marriage last. Ladies, let me, let me ask you a question this morning. If you could submit to a man who is always thinking of you first, would, would you do that? If you could submit to a man who loves you more than life itself, could you do that? Because you see, if he's thinking of you first, if he loves you more than life itself, then He'll protect you. He'll exalt you. He'll honor you. He'll provi provide for you. He'll make you the top. Now, most of us men have a hard time doing that like Jesus did. But that's the pattern we're trying to follow. And that's a new picture. That's not what we see in this concept of submission. But through the ages, the church has tried to present this picture and has done more to break down the barrier between the genders than any other thing or one in history. Men, our quest is to learn how to love our wives as Christ loved the church. 
I can never find where Jesus is loving or looking to the church, his bride, for what she can do for him. It's not in his vocabulary. He never asks of the church what he hasn't already done or given, and then some. Can you love your spouse like Jesus loves the church? Can you lead by example like Jesus led? Can you lay down your life for your bride like Jesus did? Can you be a husband that she can respect as we can respect Jesus Christ? If you look at your marriage from the standpoint of what you can get, you are missing the mark of a godly man. It's not what you can get, it's what you give that counts. That's what makes a strong marriage. You be somebody that she can respect. And, and, and ladies, you respect this one who is trying to be more like Christ. And, and when we submit to one another out of reverence for him and work it like that, it can work. Won't be perfect, but it'll work. And, and parents, put a roof over your children's head. Don't just insulate your marriage, but put a roof over your children's head. It's important that we do our best to exercise control in raising our children Sometimes parenting can be exasperating. But just remember, you were a kid once and you were exasperating to your parents. We can do permanent damage to our children's lives by provoking or ignoring them. Paul says, you know, fathers, don't exasperate your children. Be, be loving and caring with them. It's imperative that we do our best to model for them a good home so they'll know how to build one themselves and what it means to follow Christ so that they will become followers themselves. Do your best to make growing up for your children or your grandchildren because a lot of grandparents are now raising their grandchildren in this world and so the, the responsibility is falling to a lot of them. So grandparents, you have a great responsibility too. Do your best to make growing up for your children or grandchildren as positive and pleasant as it can be. Shelter them a bit. There will be plenty of time for reality as the years go by. Protect them a lot. They will know a lot of pain in their lifetimes encourage them always they will find discouragement lurking around the corner in the world where they live love them deeply for no one cares for them more than you do in the world they will discover hatred bias dishonesty rejection frustration and bitterness do your best to make your home a haven of happiness where they can retreat from all that is frustrating and bad and once again discover joy peace and unconditional love and if that's where your kids live, then they'll grow up to build the same kind of a home because they've seen it best from you. And kids, look through the windows into your parents' heart for just a moment. In the Hebrew, the word honor comes from a verb that means to be heavy. And it suggests that we give weight to a person's value. The command to honor one's parents and all that it entails is an enduring command that gives weight to their importance. The command to obey literally means to listen under, as in a concentrated, conscious kind of listening. The idea is to listen with the intent of understanding and responding affirmatively. Now let me give you four quick reasons why obeying your parents in the Lord is best. Number one, your parents stand in the place of God to you, their children. And by that, I don't mean they replace God. It's just that, well, it's like this. If an ambassador goes to another country sent by the president of the United States, he or she actually represents the United States. It's as if the president himself is standing there as the ambassador speaks. 
Now, parents are God's ambassadors to help raise you. You listen to them in the Lord as they do that. And, and number two, godly parents always have your best interest at heart. You may not always see that. You may not always understand that. But trust me, nobody loves you like your mom and dad love you or like your grandparents love you. And they will always do what's best for you, even though it may not feel like it at the moment. And, and then remember this, do it now because growing up is short. It, it just goes by so quick. Yesterday I was a father, now I'm a grandfather and I can't figure out where those years went in between. So, so listen quickly because you don't have a lot of time. And then, and then do it because Jesus did. He was the very son of God and submitted not only to God, his heavenly father, but he also was submissive and obedient to his earthly parents. Even on the cross, when every word was uttered with great pain, you remember that Jesus took time to provide for his mother. Well, here we are at the end, and, and I simply want to leave you with this thought. Everything that we've talked about up to this point in time means nothing if you don't embrace these values of the Scripture. All these things will not work if you just throw values to the wind. So I'm telling you, the blueprints that God has given us for building the home and building us as a family here matter. And if you approach all of you in the family with the same values, it'll work. Do you really think it's important to follow God's pattern? Do you think a Christian home makes much of a difference in this world? Let me give you two contrasts and then you draw your own conclusion. One, one man's name, Max Juke, lived a couple centuries ago, lived in New York, does not appear to have been a spiritual man. Not much to indicate that he may or may not have been, but probably wasn't. Richard Dugdale has researched only 709 of his estimated 1,200 descendants. You see, two of his sons actually married their first cousins, which that's a problem to begin with. 280 of his descendants lived as paupers. 140 were criminals. 60 were thieves. 7 were murderers. 128 were prostitutes. 300 died early in their life. 67 suffered from syphilis. Of the 20, the 20 who did learn a trade, 10 of them learned it in state prison. Mr. Dugdale suggests that the cost of this family to society is in the excess of one and a quarter million dollars. Jonathan Edwards lived at the same period of time in Massachusetts. He loved the Lord and saw that his family was raised with those Christian values. Of his some 1,400 descendants, there were 100 ministers, 100 lawyers, 30 judges, 60 physicians, 86 became university professors, 13 became university presidents, 60 authors, 75 naval and army officers, 80 were elected to public office, including one vice president of the United States. Now tell me if you think God's blueprint for the home makes a difference, not just for you, but for generations to come. What you do makes a difference. Follow God's blueprint, will you? And if you don't know him this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your soul is on shaky ground. You have no foundation under you. So before you can be who you ought to be as a husband or a wife or a child, you need Jesus as the Savior of your life. So while we stand and sing, you come to the